Well, we read 1 Kings, the beginning of chapter 2, and what a, what a passage it is, the passing on of the baton, the passing on of the kingship from King David to his son Solomon. So we already read this passage about David and the charge that he gives to Solomon, his son. And it's a unique and beautiful thing because David is quite the king. He is the first really amazing king that the Israelites had. Before this, you had only one king, Saul, and he was not what everybody had hoped he would be and spent a lot of his time going around trying to kill Saul. So, I mean, trying to kill David. So when David finally becomes king, everybody is very excited. And in spite of the troubles that he had over his lifetime, God used him mightily to finish the work that God had promised he would do, which was to defeat the enemies of the Israelites gradually as they came into the promised land. And God had said that he wouldn't do it all at once so that the land wouldn't become overrun by wild animals and, and you know, all of the orchards be ruined and all the fields be ruined, but Slowly but surely, as the people increased in number, God would drive out their enemies from before them, from the land that he had promised to give them, and that he had taken away from the people who lived there because of their great wickedness, which he had patiently waited for them to repent, and instead they had increased their disobedience more and more. So now David is about to die, and he has finished the work of defeating the enemies of God's people. He's established the borders, he's strengthened them, he's driven out enemies, he's repelled invaders, he has had to fight and fight and fight. And one of the things that that meant was that he did not get to build the temple that he wanted to build. Now, in Chronicles, we read where David gives the work of building the temple to Solomon. But here, we get a little bit different picture of the conver- a, a, a different conversation that David has with his son Solomon as he passes the crown to him. It's in line with passing on the work of building the temple to him, but David had not been allowed to build the temple. And so, similarly, here in this passage, David had not been able to accomplish a few things that he wants Solomon to accomplish. They're not nearly as glorious as building a temple to the Lord. (laughs) One of them is hey, make sure you keep taking care of Barzillai. 
He was faithful. And the other two are, hey, I never got around to or didn't feel free to take care of Joab. He needs to die, and you know it. Then the same with Shimei. You're wise. I'm leaving the job to you. Now, these are not exactly uh, grand and glorious plans and collections of huge sums of money and materials and even treaties with foreign kingdoms to get the necessary wood and stone. This is, this is simply, hey, being a king is more than building a temple. <laughs> There's judgment that has to happen. There is being faithful. There is work that must be done. And some of it, Solomon, has eluded me. Some of it I have not accomplished. Some of it I have not been able to do. And so I'm leaving it to you. A few years back, we were reading uh, the series of stories that starts with the book Little Britches. And one of the books was fairly painful to read because it was about him spending time with his grandfather who was just an unpleasant man from beginning to end in this book. And throughout the course of the book, as little britches lives with his grandfather, he's not quite so little anymore, uh, able to work hard, and he's working on the farm, and with help, he's able to accomplish a few things that his grandfather really wanted done. One of them was to basically clear out the back 40. You know, there was a, a place on the farm that couldn't be used. It needed rocks and trees cleared out of it. It had been overgrown. They'd never, he'd never been able to get it taken care of. And another was to uh, rebuild the barn. And... So Little Bridges helps to accomplish both of those things. And as he gets them done, his grandfather kind of changes. And he's an old man, and he's been a bitter man the entire book. Angry and bitter and merciless, rude, and, and just brutal to everybody. Even those who are pouring out their blood, sweat, and tears to help him. And you find out at the end of the book that what happened right when his father died was his father gave him work to do. And he had never been able to do it. And he'd spent his whole life fighting, trying as hard as he could to do that work and could never do it. His father's dying words to him were basically, clear out the back 40 and rebuild the barn. And he'd never been able to do it. And it had made him into a miserable, depressed, angry, bitter man. Why? Because he wanted to do the work that his father had left him to do. And so, 
when it finally happens, it's clearly something that he had given up on happening ages ago and had just been living in anger that God wouldn't let him get it done. And now here, God had sent his grandson to help him. And it had gotten done, and he had been able to see the work accomplished that he had wished and hoped and dreamed to be able to do as his father's dying words to him had instructed him to do. And he got to see it. Not something that he deserved to be able to see, was it? (laughs) But God was merciful to him. All of those books are about fatherhood in that series. And it wasn't until the very end of this book that you got any inkling that it was about fatherhood. (laughs) It wasn't until the very end that you realized that his father had given him this work. That his father had passed on this remaining work, this remaining duty yet to be done. And how frustrated he was that he had been unable to do it. Why do I tell that story? Well, because here we have David passing on work that he was unable to do in his lifetime. Not work that was passed on from his father, right? Just work that he had not gotten finished in his lifetime, but that needed to be done. He'd not gotten it finished, but it needed to be done. Unlike the story that I told you from this book, um, we're going to read in the coming chapter of how Solomon does accomplish the work that his father David gave him to do. But isn't it interesting that David, the great king, has unfinished work. Things that he wanted to accomplish in his lifetime, things that he felt needed to be done, but that he had never gotten done. Fact of the matter is that with Joab, we can imagine a number of reasons why David had not gotten the job done, but Joab deserved to be executed many years before. He had assassinated one of David's allies, and as we read in the passage, uh, speaking to Solomon, David says, you remember, you know, what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me. Now, what did Joab do to David? Joab served David faithfully for many years as his military commander. Fought battles for him, obeyed him. But what did Joab do to David? Well, he then says what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether. And what did he do to him? He murdered both of them in cold blood.
He also shed the blood of war in peace. That's in those two instances for sure. Because David had just negotiated peace with both of those men prior to Joab murdering them. And so when it says, when he says next, he put the blood of war on his belt, about his waist, and on his sandals, on his feet. He's saying he shed blood in times of peace. He's a murderer. And what he's admitting is he never took care of it. He never did what needed to be done to Joab. Now, here is David, this great king, this man who doesn't appear to be afraid of much of anything, certainly not of fighting, certainly not of taking action, certainly not of judging. So why didn't David take care of Joab? Why didn't David give justice? He's king. That's his job. He's supposed to judge. Well, like I said, there may be any number of reasons that we can think of. It doesn't say why. But you remember that Joab is the son of David's sister, Zeruiah. So that might have something to do with it. Is it hard to give justice when it means punishing your family, if you're the judge? Today we would have men recuse themselves if their own family came before their court and they were the judge, right? Do you know what it means to recuse yourself, kids? It's kind of like excusing yourself. Imagine you're a judge and your brother comes in, police are leading him in handcuffs. They say, he just shot somebody. And what do you want to do? You want to say, let him go. He's my brother, right? But since he's your brother, you shouldn't be the judge probably. You should probably say, okay, I am going to have a conflict of interest here, so I'm going to step aside and let a judge that isn't related to him judge this case. Well, when you're king, you don't exactly get the opportunity to recuse yourself from being king. Right? But David does get the opportunity to pass on the kingship to his son Solomon. And in the process, he says, you know, I didn't take care of Joab. And you need to. It's like it's a guilty conscience that's bearing David down. That requires humility, doesn't it? To admit that as a father, passing on the work to your son, there were things that you were incomplete in, that you didn't finish, that you weren't perfect in, things left undone, things that you want still to be done. Isn't it better as a father to look at your son and to say, here are the things 
I didn't accomplish, that I want you to accomplish, than to look at your son and say, you'll never live up to my standards. See how different that is? (laughs) The hard man who can never look at his children and say, you're doing great, I expect you to do even better. I expect you to do even better and even more than I have done. Isn't that a great thing? But it requires humility to say that, doesn't it? You can't say, I've done it all, I've done everything, there's nowhere to go from here but down when you're passing on the kingdom to your son. Right? You can't say that and have any kind of humility. If you're that perfect, well then, the problem with you is you need to go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. See, this is what Jesus says to the rich young ruler who thinks he's accomplished it all. He's already met all of the requirements. He's already been good. I haven't murdered. I haven't lied. I haven't been committing adultery. I've been keeping myself pure. I've been doing all that since my youth, Jesus. What, what am I still lacking? And when Jesus points out the place where he lacks, the young man goes away sad. And when the old man can't see any place where he lacks, can't see any work left undone to pass on to his children, what good is that father? What good is that father? Of course he can't pass anything on. He can't even see himself clearly. He can't even see his own failures, his own weaknesses, his own work left undone. Thankfully for Solomon, David is able to say, here are the things that are incomplete. Here are the things that are weighing on me as I die. Joab is weighing on me. And so as a good father, he passes on the duty to his son, even though it was because he was a bad king in this way that he didn't take care of Joab in the first place. Justice delayed is a problem can read about it several places in the Bible, but in Proverbs as well. Just like hope deferred makes a heart sick, justice delayed isn't just. It's not justice. But better late than never. Seems to be the, uh, the principle that David is living by here as he passes on this work to Solomon. Not just Joab, though. We'll skip over Barzillai for a minute and go on to Shimei. 
Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite of Bahurim. Now, who were the Benjamites? The Benjamites were the tribe that Saul came from. Shimei was a kinsman of Saul, the previous king. And when David was suffering under the rebellion of his own son Absalom and fleeing the city, Shimei comes out and is throwing rocks and dirt down at King David and cursing him. He's cursing him. Shimei deserved to die, and the people following David knew it. One of them even offered, shall I go up there and cut his head off, sir? (laughs) And David says, no. This is God's humiliation to me. Let him curse. And so he goes on. Now, when David returns in victory to the capital, Shimei comes and is like, I'm sorry. Sorry doesn't really cut it, but so everybody's ready to execute him even more so than the first time. But David says, no, we're not going to have bloodshed today. There's been enough bloodshed. I'm not going to execute you, Shimei. And David is stuck. He doesn't know what to do, seems, for the rest of his life. <laughs> what do we do with Shimei? I don't know what to do with Shimei. The guy's living among us, hates us, wants to see the kingship overthrown and returned to the family that it was taken away from by God. Deserves to have been executed all those years ago. But it's noteworthy that he has learned his lesson. Because we just finished reading about a rebellion in the previous chapter of another son of David, Adonijah. And it specifically notes that Shimei did not go and join himself to that rebellion. And yet David still feels deeply the hurt. Now, one of the ways I would say that uh, David seems to be tied in this case is that he maybe doesn't trust himself the same as he doesn't trust himself with Joab. Well, I promise not to execute him. I, I don't know what to do with him. But the offense was against David himself. The offense was against David. And indeed, maybe the best and most wise thing for David to do was to recuse himself and wait until there was another king on the throne and say, I'll leave it up to the next king to figure out what to do about this guy. Regardless of the reasons, here he gives the task of 
figuring out how to deal with Shimei, also to Solomon, trusting that Solomon will be able to accomplish something that is very tough, too tough for David to figure out. (laughs) Now, therefore, do not let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man. He's relying on Solomon to exceed him in wisdom. And you will know what you ought to do to him. Again, we'll get to that, what Solomon does in his wisdom soon. And then there's Barzillai. Barzillai the Gileadite. He says, but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite and let them be among those who eat at your table. For they assisted me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Now this is another promise that was made basically at the same time as the promise that he had made to Shimei that he wouldn't execute him. He's promised to take care of Barzillai, and in particular his sons. And here he is passing on the work saying, it was Barzillai who helped me. It's his sons that were taken care of. And now you're my son. I expect you to continue. This, this is to the next generation. This blessing and this work are to the next generation. We get this thrown in between him telling Solomon to deal with Joab and to deal with Shimei. And it's really funny because it's like they're about as polar opposite as you can get. Make sure that you keep letting Barzillai's sons be cared for and even eat at your own table. It's very, very sweet, tender thing. Continuing to care for that promise. Now, why does that matter so much? Well, David's primary concern with Solomon is not these three individuals. I've spent a lot of time on these three individuals, right? But you get a feel for the cares that David has by looking at these three individuals. David desires there to be justice and faithfulness on the throne. Justice and faithfulness. If there is anything terrible about a king, it's an unjust king or a man who does not keep his word on the throne. And part of the problem that David has is he can't figure out how to deal with keeping his word and doing justice. He needs to do both. Why? Well, go back. Verse 2, as he's dying, he says, I'm going the way of all the earth. You know what that means, kids? Going the way of all the earth. Dying, that's right. 
means he's dying. Why, does he, why is that a phrase that means dying? I'm going the way of all the earth. Because everybody dies in the end, right? So what does he say to his son as his son takes over? Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Now you might think, well, that's appropriate for a king. Not really something that I would say to my son, though. First Corinthians 16.13, though, says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. It's almost like Paul's quoting David as he passes on the faith to us. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians, one of the primary messages that he's giving in 1 Corinthians is, you've got to keep God's law. It matters. You can't just live in sin. You're not allowed to give yourself over to sin as individuals or as a church. Be strong. David says, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses. So what is it that David passed on to his son? He passed on his most important work. Yeah, he passed on the kingdom. Yeah, he passed on some work that David had left undone. But mostly, what he passed on was a reminder to keep God's law, to remember and to obey his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies. Got that repetition going on. All the ways that we can talk about commands, all the ways that we can talk about requirements, mandates. David says, ordinances, testimonies, statutes, commandments. Keep all of them. And that requires being strong, doesn't it? It takes a bit of courage. It takes a deep breath, stealing yourself, and walking forward. Have any of you ever gone into... Uh, Icy water. I did that a few years ago in Lake Michigan in January. And uh, it, was, it was cold. It was real cold. All the way in. And you know what? It took a little bit of courage. It took a little bit of, all right, 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. No, really, I am going to do it. (laughs) Right? You, You understand what I'm saying? This is the way it is. This is what David is passing on to his son. Be strong. Show yourself a man. The actions that I'm calling you to, there are going to be consequences. It'll be cold when you step into the water. Don't squeal like a girl. Right? Be strong. Act like a man. But keeping God's statutes so much more important. often the very work of keeping God's law that requires strength. The temptation to deny God's law today is strong. I was having a conversation recently with a friend and just thinking about all the places where God's law is clear and where our nation has denied it. even as our nation is going on and on about social justice, justice itself falls by the wayside. And so to speak of the need for true justice in a world that hates true justice and wants to see something antithetical to true justice set up instead... could probably better be called socialism justice or socialism injustice, okay? Not to say none of the concerns of people who are concerned for social justice are true concerns and do have desire for true justice, okay? But by and large, the whole category is one that is rejection of true justice and a desire to set up something else instead. So the moment that you see those places and you realize that would be unjust. We shouldn't have cancel culture. We shouldn't have mob justice. That's not justice, right? To speak against that is to risk being taken down with those who are being canceled, isn't it? It takes an act of courage and manliness to stand up for God's law when God's law is being attacked. Now this is only one area. Think of sexuality today and how many, many people are in rebellion with regard to sexuality. Living in fornication with their girlfriend or boyfriend. Rejecting the truth that from the beginning God made them male and female and saying instead, God didn't make them anything. They're whatever they want to be. 
There's no such thing as male and female. There's, there's no such thing as man and woman. There's a million other things. To speak of God's requirement that men are to act like men and be strong. It's a kind of a strange thing because it requires you to be manly to do it. And here David is, and he's passing on this work to Solomon. And he says, be strong, show yourself a man, keep the charge of the Lord your God. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. It's going to require you to be strong. It's going to require you to be manly to do that. So do we face similar temptations today to be silent when people are speaking against God's law? Yeah, we do. Do we have a responsibility the same as Solomon? Yeah, yes. Not the same responsibility, but we have a responsibility still, don't we? To keep the charge of the Lord your God. Now, so far I have skipped reading this continuation of what David says, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Now, doesn't that give you some hope? That if you are strong, if you are courageous, if you show yourself a man in the keeping of God's commands, that there will be blessings that come upon you. That there will be good results. That you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. He continues on, So that the Lord may, may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Fast forward and realizing that Jesus Christ is that son of David on the throne of Israel forever and that he perfectly kept God's law, right? Could you say that he was careful of his way? To walk before God in truth with all his heart and with all his soul? Yep. <laughs> you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Jesus is that king. He's the one who gave us our commands. And if you... Think of the correlation, the, the connection between David and Solomon, a father and a son, king. And you think of God the Father and God the Son. It is remarkable 
that God has placed judgment. God the Father has placed judgment in the hands of his Son. And interestingly, God has left his judgment unfinished, hasn't he? He has delayed his judgment on the world. Day after day, year after year, he has been patient. But in the end, Jesus will judge the living and the dead. He will bring true justice to its completion. And so all who deserve reward will get their final reward. And all who deserve death will die. It is a remarkable way that Solomon is a type of Jesus. That he is going to complete the work that his father began. Well, before that day comes, we have the same charge. The charge that we are to pass on to our sons. Sometimes today people lament the way that the Industrial Revolution has changed the world. Fathers working outside the home. All of the things that separate us from our children more and more. The fact remains that Although it's a wonderful thing when a, when a son father follows his father in business. It's nothing compared to when a son follows his father in what's important. Which is to say, the business you are in is not important. Not that your work is not important. But what the work is, is not important. What is important is what David passes on to his son Solomon. Keep God's commandments. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. I charge you to do what God has already charged. Obey him. Do what God has said. And fathers, this you can and must pass on to your sons, even if your industry dies. This is being a father. And David, in spite of his many weaknesses and many faults as a father, passes on this most important thing to his son Solomon. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you that you have given us your commands, that you have not left us without guidance, but you've given us your word. Help us to understand it and to love it and to pass on love for you and for your commands to our children and our grandchildren. And Father, even as we have heard your promises in the baptism today to be a God to us and to our children after us, Heavenly Father, do cause their love for you and for your commands to grow and to be passed on. Strengthen your church down through the generations, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.